Well, I want to continue this morning. I've been trying to get to the point of He restores my soul. And I've been trying to preach towards that now for about three weeks. And today, I think I might actually get there to He restores my soul. How many of you would like to make a bet that maybe we get to it and maybe we don't? Amen? Because the Lord, I, can, I just to be honest with you, I have so many different things going off inside of me. And trust me, that's a good thing is you want me to be filled with the Word and filled with revelation and filled with having to discern which way you want me to go instead of coming up here hoping and praying that I get something before I stand up in front of you. That is no fun. But we want to continue a little bit. We're talking really kind of the theme for this year is is restoration. Amen. Restoration and what else? Refreshing. I think one of the flows of West Houston Christian Center is that we need to be refreshed. Uh, I am definitely looking into having potentially in April maybe an, a good Holy Ghost Friday night and uh, where we can just come, where we can take our time, when we can worship, uh, where we can, I, I might bring somebody in that flows in the Spirit really, really well, and we just take a bath, amen, take a shower, get into the river and get into the flow and let the Spirit have. Trust me, we, each and every one of us, we need to be refreshed in our souls, this world is so full of so many. Do you know that there were like the two apartment complexes next to us? Well, one right there on Richmond and one right there on Wilcrest were murders. Like I've been here forever. And that's the first time I remember where there have actually been murders that have taken place within the vicinity of West Houston Christian Center in apartment complexes. People are on like razor thin edge when it comes to their mental health and their stability. Amen. Their impulses. People are acting completely and totally out of their impulses, out of their soul. What's that tell you? That their soul is so depleted and so empty and so void that they don't have any control over what their actions are. It's called lasciviousness. It means that they no longer have any barriers or any hold on their soul. If they see it, they do it. If they think it, they do it. If they think it, they say it. And so that's why it's so important for you and I to have our souls refreshed. We need to be patient. We need to be cool. We need to be kind. We need to be joyful. We need to be gentle because when you come into contact with these people, amen, the calmness of your spirit can help calm their spirit down too. When you're a carrier of peace, have you ever just been around somebody and without them speaking a word, they just were peaceful? They just, you were like, man, I don't know. I just like being around that person. Why do you like being around them? I don't know. I, they just, they were so calm and they were so peaceful. That's why it's important for us to have a still, quiet soul. We should not be moved by anything. Amen? We should never get caught by surprise. We should never get caught off guard. Jesus was always ready. He was always ready. He had prayed, he had fed his spirit, he had fed his soul, and he was ready for every encounter that came his way. Guys, that can be us too. If we would take the time and get proactive in our prayer life, 
We have to get proactive. We can't be reactionary in our prayer. Oh, something bad happened. Let me pray about it. No, no, no. We need to get ahead of this stuff. See, that's what the Spirit's for. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it will help carry you out in front of some of these things to prevent them from happening before they ever even can happen. I want to know how many moms, how many of you, when your child left the house, you had an inclination or an unction of the Spirit that they should or should not do something? Why is that? Because you were praying for them and you got out in front of their day. See, what happens is, is we're reactionary. We just deal with whatever comes and pray we can make it back to the room and go back to bed the next night. And what God is wanting us to do with a refreshed soul is we can get out in front of some of this stuff. Amen. We don't have to be caught unaware like the world is. We don't have to be surprised like the world is. We don't have to respond like the world does. Because guess what? We're different. We're the church. We are the body of Christ. We have been dued with every gift and every power from an on high. <clears throat> We've been baptized in His Spirit. We know the voice of the Good Shepherd. And guess what? We're already on the winning side. We've already got the victory. All we have to do, see, when we say we're the army of God and all that, I guess there's a truth to that. But I, we're, not, we're not an invading army. We're an occupying army. The battle has already been won. All we have to do is occupy the land, protect our borders, and make sure that we're enforcing the victory. There's no new land for me to go take. I already won. When I go into Thailand, I'm not going to take land that's not mine. It's already mine. Because my father owns it. we got to change the way that we think. And without going on too many more tangents this morning, one of the, one of the most, the clearest things to me is where you and I need to get better as believers is we need to be mentally tough. Mentally tough. To be mentally tough. What does that mean, Pastor Jack? That means that my mind is so renewed to the things of God that when things happen, I don't just get all caught up and carried away in it by my emotions. Amen. Mentally tough means that I have a check over my emotions. I hate to use sports analogies, but they're the best. Greatest football player in the world? Debatable. Tom Brady right now. When you say Tom Brady, does everybody know who Tom Brady is? Why was Tom Brady? Tom Brady does not look like an athlete. He does not run like an athlete. He looks nothing. If you were to see Tom Brady when he was like a seventh round draft pick out of Michigan, there was nothing special about him. He was a statue behind the line. But Tom Brady was more mentally tough than anybody else around him. Tom Brady's mental attitude was is that we're going to keep playing this football game and we're going to keep playing it until I win. That needs to be our mentality as a believer. That we are going to keep playing. Satan, we are going to keep playing this game. You keep coming at me and I'm going to keep playing this game until I win. And I will be so expensive to you and so painful for you, you will scream every time I get out of bed in the morning. Because they'll go, oh my God, she's up again. That only takes place when we develop a mental toughness 
to what we're doing with the things of the Word. Tiger Woods, love Tiger Woods. Tiger will go down as one of the greatest golfers of all time. Why is it? Because he was, was mentally tough. He would get on a golf course and he would destroy people. He did the golf courses. They changed golf courses because of Tiger Woods. They were too short. Tiger Woods would come up to a par five and drive it and they would go, oh my God. They would add thousands of yards to some of the most established golf courses in the world because Tiger Woods could hit a ball farther than anybody could ever conceive it. But what so, was so great about him was is that he would get on a green with a 15-foot putt and you knew it was automatic. He was so mentally tough that nothing flustered him. Nothing got in his way. That even if somebody yelled or barked or whatever, he, he was so locked into what he was doing, so focused that you could not take his attention away. Folks, that needs to be you and I. We need to be so locked into the Word of God and the things of God that no matter what's going on around us, no matter what the white noise is, no matter what dogs are barking, no matter what they say on television, no matter what pandemic they try and put on us next, nothing moves me. We have got to get to the place where we keep getting moved from left to right, side to side, gutter to gutter, election to election, moved and ripped and torn like we don't know who we are or where we came from or who our daddy is. This group, us, the body of Christ, we need to be locked in on who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who I am because of those three. Quit being a victim. Quit having a victim mentality. Quit taking ownership of things that you don't want. And begin to grasp by faith the things that you do want. Let him restore your soul. A restored soul will start with mental toughness. Emotions are wonderful, beautiful things, and they are there for a reason. But we cannot let our lives, especially our Christian lives, be led by how we feel. I cannot allow offense to move me out of my promised places. I cannot allow fake feelings to move me out of places that where I'm my promised land. Psalms 23. Psalm the 23rd. I haven't even opened my Bible yet. Oh my. Oof. Psalm 23. I'm telling you, there's a flow here today. Even if I just help one person, it's worth it. One person, Lord. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Amen? When we talked about last week, what's it mean? I shall not want. That means that I shall never lack and I shall never decrease. When you and I got saved, we got as low as we were ever. We, were, we started, that's as low as you should ever be in the things of God. Everything with God should be, should be progressive. We should be growing and increasing in the things of God. 
He leads me beside the, uh, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And uh, Psalm 23, 3 out of the Passion Translation says, that's where he restores and revives my life. How many of us could safely or honestly say today that we deal with anxiety, that we deal with fear, that we deal with depression, that we deal with all of these um, mental assaults on a regular basis because of the world in which we live in? We are constantly surrounded with voices telling us that the world's going to end, that you're never going to have enough, that there are no jobs. You know, this generation, this young generation who has the most truly believes that they have the least because that's what they've been conditioned to believe. That the American dream is not for you. That this will not work for you like it did for your parents and for your grandparents. They have the least expectation of our world. Listen to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm taking that scripture with me everywhere that I go. Doesn't matter what that looks like. Doesn't matter who comes to church and who doesn't. Doesn't matter who gives and who doesn't give because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh my, my, I love saying that over and over and over. Say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What do you want? Have you qualified that? What do you want? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What do you want? Have you been specific about it? Have you shared it with the Lord? What is it that you want? What is it? He'll take care of all of our needs, right? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Psalm 23 is talking about my wants. What do you want? Peace on earth and goodwill towards men, Brother Jack. World peace. No, what is it that we want? I think we have not because we ask not. We're too conditioned to be disappointed to ask God for anything because we've asked for stuff before and it didn't happen. Come on, somebody. I prayed for somebody and they died. Well, guess what? They were going to die anyway. We're all going to die. Everybody understand? Thank you, Lord. We are restored when we pursue what pleases God and when we rest in Him. Your soul will be refreshed and restored when we pursue what pleases God and when we rest in Him. If God is taking personal responsibility for all of my needs, what I will wear, what I will eat, and where I will live, what am I worried about? What am I worried about? How much time do we spend worrying? What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? Where's it going to come from? How's it going to happen? I mean, we can get so caught up in the worry of it that we totally forget what he told us to do. Seek first. Say first. First. The kingdom of God and his way of doing and being right. And guess what? Some of these things will be added to you. What? All. Man, when you start using words like all and wants and my cup runneth over, 
Those sound like big words, Pastor Jack. Could I dare to believe that I could live a life where there was an overflow of all that I have and all that I do? Could I dare to believe that I could live a life without living paycheck to paycheck? Could I dare to think that I could live a life where I was blessed to be a blessing? Could I dare to believe that I could be the one wearing the robes when the woman, when the issue of blood comes up and says, I need a miracle. Could I dare to believe that God could use me? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He gives me a grassy homeland, not just to visit, but to live. He leads me beside still waters, waters that are still enough for me to drink, but not too busy and and forceful to pull me away. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, not because I've earned it, but just because he loves me. Yay! Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We forgot our yay. Why in the world would I go, yay, as you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because here is the missing part of the restored soul is that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we forget that he's with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And the reason that we deal with so much worry and so much anxiety and so much fear and all of these different things, there are so many phobias. Do you know why he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Do you know that death is the master fear? He used that very, very specifically. All phobias are fear, but guess what's the end of that fear? Why am I scared of tarantulas? Why do I have a phobia, arachnophobia? What am I fearful of? That I'm going to die. Why am I fearful of small, small spaces? What's going to happen to me if I'm in a really small space? There's no air. I'm going to. All phobias, all fears end with a fear of death. Why am I fearful of going across a bridge? Because I'm fearful that, I'm gonna, that the bridge is going to give out and I'm going to die. Why am I fearful of heights? Because I'm fearful that I'm going to fall and I'm going to Do we understand that? When we entertain phobias and fears and things like that, we are entertaining death? That's why David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will... Why do I not fear any evil? Why can I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and not be touched and not be worried and not be moved and not be fearful and my blood pressure doesn't go up one beat? How and why can I do that? Because he is with me. He's with me. He's with me. Get a picture of that big guy walking next to you as you were walking down that street at the middle of the night. Get a picture of how big your God is. Get a picture that no matter what's in that valley, he's bigger. He's mightier and he's already defeated everything in your life that's coming against you. Quit worrying about the shadow of the fear of death and start getting excited that he's in there with you. You can walk through these things and not sweat once. 
That is a picture of entering into the rest of the Lord. That's rest. That's the rest of the Lord. Quickly, let's look at Psalms real quick. Go with me to Psalm 105. Everybody good? Psalms 105, and let's look at verse 37. Actually, let's back up. This is actually just kind of talking about when Israel came out of Egypt through Moses. And uh, Psalm 105, 37, it says, He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. Get a picture. Israel, been in bondage. Moses goes, Moses the deliverer, Moses, a picture of Jesus, goes and delivers Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's a picture of the Antichrist spirit, a picture of hell. He saves those people. They all come out, and guess what? They have all the money. Yes, isn't that what it says? They had all the silver, they had all the gold, and there wasn't a feeble one among them. Does everybody get a picture of that? They got saved, and they came out rich prosperous and healthy. That's how they left Egypt, right? That's how they left. Now, go with me to Jude. Jude 5. I was going to say Jude 1, but hey Jude, there's only one Jude. Jude is in the back of the book. Uh-oh, where did Jude go? Is Jude before James or after James? Oh, just checking. All right, Jude 5. It says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. What? But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Why did this group get a picture of this? Here's a group of millions of people. They leave Egypt under Moses' faith. They have all the money, they have all the gold, and there's not a feeble one among them, yet none of them were able to get into the promised land and most of them died in the wilderness, what happened? What happened to this group of people? Because they refused to enter in to the rest of the Lord. They refused to use their own faith and mix it with the Word and therefore to prosper. You and I, we got saved. And when you and I got saved, just like the children of Israel, he gave us all the gold, he gave us all the silver, and there's not a feeble one among, a feeble one among us. That's what's in the word salvation. 
Now, whether you're experiencing that or not, that's up to you. But that's what the word means. Look up the word salvation in the Greek. Write down the definition because that's what you got when you got saved. You got the whole boat. But because Israel refused to enter his rest, they refused to begin to develop their own faith. They were worried. They were tired. They were fearful. They were disobedient. They were not reverent towards God. They murmured, they mocked, and they did not make it to their promised land. Their soul was never restored. God wants us to enter into each one of our own promised land. You have a promised land. There's a Canaan land for you as a person. And each and every one of us, we go through our desert and we go through a process and we find out out in the wilderness who we really are and what we really believe. It's just the name of the game, folks. That wilderness experience, that's what tested what was in the heart of everyone in Israel. That's what disqualified them from ever entering into their promised land. Now I'm going to end with this this morning. And I haven't really had a chance to talk about it as much, but I will. The number one thing that you and I need to do, the number one thing that I have seen with Christians that dictates whether they make it or whether they don't is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is how we get mentally tough. I beseech thee, brethren, by the tender mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Here we go. Are you ready? And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable. If you want to make it out of the wilderness into your promised land, you have to renew your mind to think the way that God thinks, to speak the way that God speaks, to act the way that God acts. Because when you begin to speak like God, when you begin to act like God, when you begin to live like God, you will begin to experience all that God has. But that only comes through changing the way. You can't look at yourself as lowly, as alone, as depressed, as un, I have no weapons, I have no nothing. I, I see myself as this, I'm this grasshopper. No, no, no. There's a lion inside of you. There is a superhero inside of every, I can see your capes just popping up all over the room. There are superheroes in this room ready to do superhuman things. But you have to see yourself in the mirror as that lion and not as that kitten. You have to see yourself as the one with the robes on and not always as the woman with the issue of blood. There is a place where we have need, and I'm not negating that at all, but we don't live in need. If your Christian life is characterized by always being in need, then I, I'm just saying you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Some of us have so many holes in our soul and wounds in our soul that have never been able, we've never given God the chance to, to fill that hole. Let God fix that in you today. Let him heal whatever that hurt is. Let him fix it for you today because he's trying to pour in you, but it's just pouring right back out. Amen. But let me just, I'll, I'll end with this. This is my, this is your number one scripture to renew your mind with. Are you ready? 
2 Corinthians 5.17. This is the one that changed my life. You have to say this. You have to get in the mirror and you have to say this. Are you ready? I am a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You have to think of yourself as a new creature. You have to get a mental picture. I'll end with this story. Everybody knows that I coach Little League Baseball, right? Everybody knows that I went to Peru. And everybody knows that I coached Little League Baseball for years. I've coached Little League for years and years and years. Loved it. It was a great ministry opportunity. My very first year, Jack was going to play. And so we actually went back to the fields that I played on when I was a kid. It was kind of cool. And uh, as I walked up that day, I thought I was just going to be a dad. But they threw me a hat and said, would you help coach? Sure, I'll coach. And so we started our baseball season. And there's Jack. And Jack's a very good athlete and was a very good baseball player. And he was probably the best one on the team, him and another kid. And so we would play these teams. And there were rules. And these are young kids and stuff. And so you're trying to teach them the fundamentals and the basics and all that. And I'm just a dad. And I'm trying to teach them everything that I know. I was never a good coach, but I was a good leader for a team. I didn't know all the ins and outs and the, you know, how to, to, to get on the fundamentals of baseball, but I could teach a kid how to throw, how to catch, and how to hit. And so we would play this other team, and this guy on this team, his name was Alex Garcia. Alex was a pitcher in the Cubs organization, played professional baseball. He was coaching his son. So we go to play each other, and Alex's team would beat the tar out of us, like 79 to nothing. And he would never stop. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he would never stop. Their kids were always running. If you made an error, he took advantage of it. He was constantly pushing, constantly pressing, constantly. And oh my gosh, I got mad. Don't you see you're hurting these kids? You're not teaching them anything by running up a score 72 to nothing. You're not teaching them anything. And oh, my heart got mad. And we had to play him three times. And so it happened again the second time. Well, the second time when it happened, I found myself grabbing a baseball bat out of the dugout and slowly walking towards Alex on the other side of the field. Alex was going to die because Alex was hurting my son. He's hurting my son's feelings. Now, this has nothing to do with baseball and everything to do with me. So I had to get a hold of myself, Pastor Jack. I am a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things. And I had to start doing it days and days and days before I knew we were playing his team. Now, what happened was, is that I renewed my mind that that old nature was an unrealized issue in my soul that I was carrying as an adult. And when I got put under the right amount of pressure, it came out. There was a hole in my soul, and it came out. Had nothing to do with Alex. It had nothing to do with how he coached. Alex was a baseball player. He was teaching his kids how to play baseball because he knew at higher levels, if you always gave mercy, you would never win. He was teaching them the right way to do it. I was a dad, and you're hurting my son because you're running the score up, and I want orange slices. But I renewed my mind, and you know, Alex and I, after that season, after I renewed my mind and I realized who I was, see, we identify more with Adam than we do with Jesus. 
You've got to identify with Jesus. Don't identify with that fallen nature. Identify with Jesus by saying, I'm a new creature in Christ. We have to be a new creature in Christ. You have to look at yourself that way or your old behaviors will come back. So I have to renew my mind, renew my mind, renew my mind. Well, finally, we played them in the championship and we beat them. Oh, my God, it was the greatest day. It was the greatest victory in my life. And God did it for me. He did it for me. But you know what? It changed me. I'm telling you, you need to arm yourself with that scripture first and foremost. And you need to constantly remind yourself that you're a new creature in Christ. That when you get tempted to be depressed, when you get tempted to feel alone, when you get tempted to revert back to a childhood or a a bad relationship or all those types of things, you've got to remember that that person died. That you are a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? Let's stand up. Thank you for those two hand claps and the, and the nine grunts in the back. They were like, oh. Pastor Jack, is the new flow that you're going to preach longer? Yes. 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 Not on purpose, not just to make you stand here, but it's important. I think what we're doing is important. And if I only get you once a week and then living with purpose, I need to impart into you everything that I feel like you need. Do you feel armed and you're ready for tomorrow now? Are you? Do you feel like the foundation, the ground under you, you're a little bit higher? Do you understand that you, do you feel like you can trust God a little bit more? Does he look a little bit clearer to you today? Mission accomplished. That's my job. You should be able to trust him more and you should be able to see him more after every Sunday. And the foundation underneath you should be building higher and higher and higher. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for your word, that it is amazing, that it's beautiful, Lord, that it's life-changing. Lord, I don't want to take anything for granted that anybody, everybody in this room knows you the way that you want to know them. So if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then I want to give you that opportunity. It's so simple. All you have to do is ask and then let him begin to put you in a new flow. There's a new flow. There's a flow of blessing. There's a flow of healing. There's a flow of deliverance. There's a flow of you getting lined up uh, in the job that you're supposed to be doing and the relationships you're supposed to be in. There's a, there's a, a, a flow of, of healing uh, from relationships and hurts in our hearts and holes in our soul. And it all starts like this, by just simply saying, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Forgive me for all of my sins. Forgive me for my ignorance, Lord. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Heal me from all diseases. Deliver me from all addictions. But most importantly, be my best friend. I welcome you, Jesus, into my heart. Now say this, everybody. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
That means quit being tormented by things you did 20 years ago. That means quit being tormented by all the, what you consider to be failures and lacks and losses and disappointments. Those are, the, you're renting Satan TV time on the brain of your mind and he's showing commercials over and over and over. Think about the victories. Think about when he met you, when you needed him. Think about the miracles and the mission. Think about the path that he's guided you on and all that he's spared you from. Think about his goodness and how that you've never been alone. I don't know who this is for, but, you know, my spiritual birthday comes up next week. I'll be 32 years old in the Lord. But, you know, all my friends pre to that, they're all dead. The crowd that I ran with, the girls that I ran with, the guys that I ran with, the guys that I worked for, they're all dead. They did not die good, good deaths. They died from drugs. They died from alcohol. They died from AIDS. They died from all kinds of stuff. Jesus changed me. He changed my flow. And he put me into his flow. And his flow will always flow towards life. His flow will always flow towards more. Make sure you're in the right flow. Check the flow that you're in. Where is it leading you? The people you're with, are they leading you closer to Christ or farther away? That'll tell you what kind of flow you're in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We love you. Jesus is Lord. We'll see you next week.